Lauren Herzog was originally questioned about the disappearance of Cindy Vanderheiden on November 20th, 1998, less than a week after she went missing. You can find parts of his police interview on YouTube. We presented this video of his interview, along with a few others, to someone who works for the federal government in behavior detection and analysis. To set the scene, in this interview, Herzog is sitting in the corner of a police interview room. His hair is styled into a long mullet. He is wearing a pale yellow or possibly white t-shirt over his heavily tattooed arms. There is something in his breast pocket of his t-shirt, possibly a pack of cigarettes. He has a pair of sunglasses pushed back on his head. The interview is being conducted by San Joaquin County Sheriff's Detective, Deborah Scheffel. If you would like to watch the video in full, you can find the details on our show notes and in our Facebook discussion group. This is Mike's analysis of Herzog's original interview with the police. My name's Mike. I work for the federal government, and I do behavior detection and analysis. And it's pretty much in a capacity that's not well known to the general public. I've been doing this for 12 years, and prior to that, some of it did some of it in my military service as well. At some point, depending on, on, on some things here, you might have to make a real hard decision between your wife and your family and yourself and your life and your old friend, Wes Shermantine. There's no hard decision at all. Okay, and... I've already told you that. Family's more important than anything in the world to me. Right. But I also sense in you, Lauren, that you're a good friend and that unless we hold your fence to the fire, you're not going to give up, Wes, unless you're absolutely forced to. Give him up what? I've already told you. But what this botherness that we have a young woman who was seen no. talking with you guys, and we have a chunk of time that's unaccounted for. You're not an intelligent, Lauren. You can see, you know what this, what our problem, what the problem is. I can understand that, but like you said, you there are other people that said the same thing at the bar. So on November twentieth, nineteen ninety-eight, from the start, we're watching Lauren in the in in the interview room, interrogation room. And in his body position is one that he's leaning in towards the interrogator. He does this a lot with one shoulder forward, and then one of the shoulders is lower than the other or higher than the other. Now, he does this a lot, like I said, it's an aversion behavior. Aversion behavior is he doesn't want, he doesn't want to listen to what the interrogator is saying. He's very uncomfortable with it. Whenever you see him do this, one shoulder up, turned away or turned towards the interrogator. It's the same thing, especially when one is dropped a little lower. That means this is a sore subject for him, and he has a lot of dislike for this, for whatever subject they're talking about at the time. And if you couple that with other verbal and nonverbal cues like fidgeting and lack of eye contact, you're going to get a, a lot of behavior to clusters, which are usually indicative of deception. Witnesses tell us that you, Cindy, and Wes are huddled up at the end of that bar. I don't remember being any huddled with anybody. All right, so you guys are talking for not just a minute, not just a couple of minutes, but for an extended period of time. 
that's I can't recall that. I can't picture that at all. And at 1423-18, the interrogator states that the interrogator was talking about they were sitting at the end of the bar talking for an extended amount of time, Lauren, Cindy, and Wes. And as she was describing, he or she was describing this, he states, I can't recall that. I can't picture that at all. Now, this is an easy thing for someone being deceptive to do. When they say this, it's called the deceptive memory lapse. A deceptive memory lapse is when the subject has been basically put in a position where a definite answer must be given. And the easiest thing for him to say is, I don't recall, I don't remember. So he doesn't incriminate himself. This answer always indicates a very likely indicator of deception. And he does this a lot, as you'll see in my list of, of indicators I've, I've, I've noticed in the, in, during these interrogation videos. What do you think happened to Cindy, Warren? I really don't know. I thought about it, I don't know. So at 144723, the interrogator asked, what do you think happened to Cindy? And Lauren replies, I really don't know. I thought about it, but I really don't know. Another memory lapse, like I just stated before. He doesn't want to incriminate himself by giving any kind of story. Maybe he might mess up further down the road and tell a different story. So it's easier for him to say, I don't know. They pretty much know that we're only going to find a body. They pretty much know that by now. That's our way yeah, but you know what? You got to think positive. No, there's no thinking positive about this. So that the relationship between Cindy and her family was so close that there's no way that she's not, that she's voluntarily gone, okay? And they've pretty much resigned themselves to the fact that all they're looking for now is her body. But you know what? They need that. So at 1448.29, the interrogated state that they're going to find a body. Herzog states, you have to think positive. Now, he, what he's doing, he's trying to redirect the conversation. He wants to make it positive. He thinks we have to have hope that they're going to find her alive. He doesn't want to even think about finding her body. It's just something he's doing automatically. Let's think positive about this because they could still find her, which we obviously know they won't. Can you imagine not knowing? The not knowing where she is yeah, is different. harder than knowing because they already know that she's not coming home. But can you imagine Christine disappearing and not knowing where her home? Really she so doesn't think that way. That's bad. Anything happening is knowing. Because Lauren, my job doesn't come with a crystal ball. At fourteen forty-eight fifty-three, the interrogator is talking to him about. The parents need the body. They need that. This is when he instantly drops his shoulders that's closest to the interrogator. And that's another aversion indicator. He doesn't want to talk about it for whatever reason why. The interrogators really don't go down those rabbit holes because I don't know if they knew about body language and all that. But when you're interrogating someone and you see these cues and you see the reaction to the questions, they should go down what we call going down the rabbit hole. If that question affected him and he showed a behavior, then they need to investigate that a little more. And a lot of times they just let it go. 
We stumbled across lies, and we don't know why the lies. The lies are for two reasons. Because the person that's telling the lie knows that they've had something to do with Cindy's disappearance, and they're afraid, or they're guilty. To 1449.53. And at the time, he moves. He's talking about lies they discovered from the investigation prior to this interrogation. He moves back away from the interrogator in size and looks at his watch. Looking at his watch is a stress indicator. It's called fidgeting. Sighing is he's just letting out air. He's stressed. He wants to decompress. He doesn't want to talk about what he possibly implicated himself in before. He moves away. He wants to get away from this part of the, this conversation. He doesn't want to talk about it. You'll see him move back. People lie for all kinds of reasons. And I don't know why they lie. I don't know either. Wes is lying and I don't know why. Is it because he had something to do with Cindy's disappearance and he knows that? Or is there some other reason? I don't know. But do you see, I'm not asking you, Lauren, I'm just I, saying. I know. Yes, why am I putting it through I want to find Cindy and put her parents into agony to even be around him. And at 1450.11, asked if Wes had something to do with Cindy's disappearance. He asked, do you see why I'm inputting you? I've been putting you through this. I want to find find Cindy. He rubs his face, then leans on his hand like he's disinterested with the conversation. He doesn't really care about her parents. He doesn't want to know anything. He's bored. He's basically putting on, I'm bored of this. I, I really don't want to talk about it. And he does this a lot, like he's not interested in the questions they're asking him. If it come right down to push and shove, would Wes choose, if Wes needed to cover himself, he'd give you up in a heartbeat. You know he would. The likes of Freddie in the end, are they going to cover for you? Never. Are they going to cover for me? Huh? <laughs> it's funny, are they going to cover for me? I don't know what they'd be covering for. That's 1451-33. The interrogator states that Wes was needed to cover himself he would give him, he would give Lauren up in a second. Are they going to, is he going to cover for you? He asked, the interrogator asked. He gives a shrug, then he chuckles. Now, when someone chuckles, it's called a cover, the cover indicator. And he wants to, like, make you forget the seriousness of the question. So they laugh like it's lighthearted. And he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to talk about it anymore. So he just chuckles and plays it off. And hopefully you'll forget about it. Oh, he's laughing. He's not really serious about this question. So let's move on. So they call that a cover indicator. And that's pretty interesting when you see him laugh. He does that a few times as well. You, you grew up with Wes and you've known the good. There is good about him, but there is bad about him too. I've met him on both sides. I've, seen him, in, people, I've right? seen him in both. That's true. But some folks have got pretty bad. Their bad side is pretty, pretty bad. I just finished the report from Calaveras County on that gal that got hooked up with back last year. Yeah, I didn't want to know I heard something about that. I didn't want to know more about that. 1454.30, the interrogator brings up the case she finished up with, a gal he got hooked up with last year. Herzog replies, I heard nothing about that. I don't even want to know about that. It's an evasive and vague answer and a dismissive gesture. He turns away from the interrogator. You can see his body turn away. He doesn't want to talk about 
a case that she worked on that Wes was hooked up with some other girl a year ago. So he doesn't want to know it. He doesn't have anything of any recollection about it. He doesn't even want to know about it. So he just turns away from the interrogator. I'm not talking. I'm shutting down. It gets pretty wild when he's, when he's doing drugs or when he's cranking and when he's drinking, doesn't he? It gets pretty wild, doesn't he? I don't know. Wild enough, I'd say. At 1454-42, he gets pretty wild. They're talking about Wes. The interrogator says he gets pretty wild when he's been drinking and cranking, doesn't he? I don't know, Lauren says. I don't know. Wild enough, I'd say. Just dismisses it as no big deal. Yeah, he gets wild. I'd say, you know, no big deal. I'm downplaying it. You ever think that Wes would be capable of forcing a girl to have sex with him? I don't know. Probably, maybe not. At 1454-53, asked if Wes is capable of forcing a girl to have sex with him. Lauren's answer is, I don't know, probably, maybe, maybe not. Evasive and vague, pure sign of deception right there. He doesn't want to go down with any details. He doesn't want to implicate himself. He's just going to be evasive and vague. Answer the question, but not give any details. 1501-38, he does the shoulder dip again. You'll see him doing that. At some, in order again to further eliminate you, we would probably ask you for a blood sample and hair standard samples. Would you be willing to do that? To further eliminate you from what's going on. I'm just keep sucking me in more and more. That's what I feel. This is a problem. That's what I'm feeling. Okay, but remember this. You're not the only one we found. This, you're a life and fitness sex person, and we always ask them. This is what we call a process of elimination. That's what they started out. Yeah, but do you understand? Right. What would you have to worry about? Your right. sample's not going to be there, and nothing of your biological fluids is going to be there. It'll be anywhere. Pardon Nowhere. Me. And but see, we won't know that unless we took those samples and compared them to the samples that we find. Is that right? 150151 asked about giving hair and blood samples. He leans away from the interrogator and states, you keep sucking me in more and more. That's the way I feel. And that's the sympathy. He's throwing down the sympathy and he wants the interrogators to feel bad for him. We're putting him under too much stress. You guys keep sucking me in more and more. I feel that way. And I want you to feel bad for me. Lawrence, he does a lot of jerky movements during his interrogation. And through my experience dealing with a lot of people who do that, usually comes from drug use, especially meth and crank and all that stuff. They just make these unusually weird movements. You'll see him jerking around. He does that a lot. So we're going to include that in his baseline and his behavior the way he is. We're going to call that fidgeting or stress-related behavior. But that's just the way he acts. So you'll see if you watch these interrogation videos, he's got a lot of those weird jerky movements. And the other thing I'm going to ask you is that at some point, if it's necessary, and that's why I'm asking you now, or we'd be doing it now, would you be willing to either take a polygraph or a juice verification test that verifies that you do not, in fact, know anything about the disappearance of Cindy Vanderheim? Because what would the results of that test be? When asked that question, what would the results be? Do you know anything? Oh, that's the word about? No. At 1502.41, 
the interrogator asked him, would you be willing to take a polygraph? He does the shoulder dig again, aversion. He doesn't want to talk about the possibility of taking a polygraph. 1502-58, the interrogator asks, what would the result be about the question? Do you know anything about the disappearance of Cindy? He answers, about the whereabouts? You know, my heart's bouncing right now. They didn't ask him about the whereabouts of her. Did they know about her disappearance? So he volunteered that information about the whereabouts. He said, no, my, my heart's been, my heart's bouncing right now. So that indicates he's going under, under a lot of stress right now. But uh, if he's saying that he's, his heart's really racing, then you know he's under a lot of stress with that question. Do you know anything about the disappearance of Cindy Banner right now? Okay. Do you suspect that anyone is involved in her disappearance? Is there anyone that you suspect is involved in the disappearance of Cindy Van Ryan? I know. I'm not trying to be suspected. Miss Christine, you'd be certainly thinking about people that are around you and who might have been responsible for that. We're asking you, is there anybody that you suspect that's more likely to have something to do with Cindy's disappearance than I Okay. Detective came and knocked on the door, and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? As we deep dive into these chilling tales, we all need a moment of escape, a way to unwind without the shadow of the night creeping in. Here's where Recess Mood comes in. Crafted with real fruit and infused with mood-lifting magnesium and stress-balancing aptogens, Recess Mood is your guilt-free retreat. With just 20 calories, no added sugar, it's not just a sparkling water. It's a sanctuary and a can. Imagine unwinding during a gripping episode of Foul Play with a can of strawberry rose, or my favorite, raspberry lemon. Letting the stress melt away without the aftermath of alcohol. It's my little secret to staying balanced in the chaos of a busy life. You deserve a healthier way to unwind, to recharge, and to prepare for the next journey into the unknown. With foul play. And for the devoted foul play listeners, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash Shane to get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Anybody else? 1503.17 asked if there's anyone you suspect is involved in the disappearance of Cindy Vanderheiden. He gives a delayed response followed by, I don't know, I'm not trained to be suspecting people. Basically being defiant, meaning, isn't that your job? And the delayed response always, 
he's given himself a little extra time. And you'll see in my other observations, some of them are pretty lengthy. He's thinking of a better answer. He's thinking of an answer they want to hear. So he's coming up with this thing. Isn't that your job? Shouldn't you be suspecting people? Can we take you back home? Please. <laughs> Please. Now, 1503-52 asks, can we take you back home? He turns his whole body away from the interrogator and laughs and says, yes, please, or something to that effect. But, yeah, he does a lot of that aversion behavior. He doesn't like what they're saying. He doesn't like what they're asking him. And we'll see in the other films that he's got a lot more to come. We asked Mike some generic questions. Mike told us that Lauren's response to a question is often interposed with one shoulder up and one down. We asked if it made any difference to the interpretation, which shoulder is in which position, or is he just looking at the pose overall? It's just that complete pose usually, and I'll get into this a little later. When he does that and the shoulder pointing forward is a little lower and he gazes downward, that's a very likely indicator of deception, probably like 99% that he's being deceptive. Especially when he does that position and gazes down. These videos, they're grainy. So obviously because they're pretty old. And it's hard to see sometimes when he gazes down, but you'll be able to tell by his head movement and his kind of face disappears from view. But you'll be able to tell when he kind of gazes down. Mike said it doesn't look like the police followed up on the body language that Lauren was displaying. We asked if this is something he had seen in older cases and something that has evolved more recently as a technique. Yeah, I would, I would say you're probably right because the way the training I went through is there's a whole list of stress, fear, and deception cues we look for, both verbally and non-verbally. So when you see, you, you say you ask someone a question, did you rob the bank? And all of a sudden their eyes get wide and they start touching their face. That's something there. That's a sore spot for them. So let's go down that rabbit hole saying, were you in the vicinity of that bank? You banked there. Do you know anybody about the bank and why, what you were doing at that time of day, actually? You're probably right. They didn't probably have a lot of training in that back then in the 90s. So, yeah. When I went through training and still continue to train, it's ongoing. You have to be careful because sometimes one indicator is not a definite sign of showing any kind of deception. It really shows up when you get those clusters, like more than one. That's when you really want to look at these people. Herzog was interviewed by police again on February 1st, 1999. The interview was conducted by San Joaquin County Sheriff's Detective, Deborah Shuffle. This interview comes in two parts. We will hear Mike's analysis of part one in this episode, and part two will be featured in our next episode. Again, the details of where you can watch the video online are in the show notes. On the video, Herzog sat in the corner of a police interview room. He's wearing a black top under a plain black hoodie. On his head, he is wearing a black baseball cap with a gold emblem on. Lauren, you have today, because I have drug you in here, kicking and screaming, you have an opportunity to separate yourself 
for Wes Sherman time. Wes is going to go with or without you. And today is the time and the place for you to decide which it's going to be. Well, I ain't going. I, I've done nothing. He ain't going with me. He ain't taking me with him. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I ain't done nothing to be going for. Lauren, I sure hope you're telling me the truth because I see you as an opportunity to do something that we probably will not have an opportunity to do unless we get lucky, and that's get Cindy's body back because Wes will never. That's, I can't have to there. This, again, is Lauren Herzog. Again, he's got the same thing. He's doing the same thing. He's in a leaning forward position, not so much the shoulders. His hands clasped. And he's moving his fingers around, so we call that rubbing and wringing of hands. So we're going to call that a stress indicator. He's under a lot of stress right now. And they're talking about getting Cindy back. And he says, I can't help you there. I don't know. Another memory lapse. He doesn't want to implicate himself on if he knows anything about where she is or anything like that. I don't know. Okay. I, I swear, I, I fully find you. This is true. I don't give a I would have told somebody. Okay. Didn't come up with going down. Hell, I could just went down. Oh. I turned west and say whatever. But oh. I, I knew her. You I swear to God, I knew where she was. And at sixteen twenty-five twenty-five, he's got his palms up and open. He opens his palms. He turns them open. So what that indicates is like he's trying to convince the interrogators that he's telling the truth. I'm telling you guys the truth about everything. It's not. I'm not lying. But this is what I'm saying. That's a typical sign of de- deception. He's trying to be open. He's trying to convince them. We all know that he's probably being deceptive. At 1625-27, he says, I swear, and then there's some part of the video that's not understandable. If I knew where she was, this is the truth. And he raises his hand like he's swearing in. I would have told somebody what those indicators are called denial flat. And denial flags, I think Shane has heard me talk about these before. It's like saying something like, I swear I didn't do it. I swear on my mother's grave, on my children. I swear to God, I didn't do it. Highly likely that's deception. And he said two of them in that one statement. So it's called a denial flag, and those are interesting things. So he's trying to be truthful. He's swearing on his... On his kids, he's swearing on the Holy Bible that he's being truthful. Without the money not being a fat kid. That's money. All right. If I really knew, I would tell somebody. And Lauren? I wish I could. At 1625-43, he does a di- what we call a dismissive gesture. He weighs off the idea of them giving him money if he really knew. I don't want I don't have to take any money. If I really knew, I would tell somebody. I wish I could. Again, he's trying to convince people that he's being truthful. If I really knew, I'd tell somebody. It's the same thing as prior. It's like a denial flag. He's saying, I swear, if I knew, I would tell you. Highly likely that he's being deceptive. What would motivate you to tell if you knew where Cindy's body is? What kinds of things have gone on in your mind? Because it's her mom. Her mom, man. I got kids. How much is the mission? Okay. I don't need to go ahead, man. I self-destruct. 1626-00. Notice, this is a physical cue now. Notice the bulging neck artery in his neck. It's like a rope. 
what that indicates during this interrogation at this time, he's under an unusual amount of stress. And you won't see it before in like the prior clips. You'll have to rewind and go back and compare it to what you after that. But you'll see this big neck artery. That means his blood pressure's up and his carotid artery's just bulging through his skin. Varnas is a sick man. This man has not, this is not the first time. And if he's not stopped, this won't be the last. And he has no feeling in here about it whatsoever. None at all. Has he ever even jokingly said to you, you either fall in line, Lauren, what was the threat? Even if it was what was the threat? At 16.29.03, when asked what was the threat from West, did he threaten you? He does a huge delayed response. Over five seconds, his mind is thinking, you have to give a good response here because this is going to be very important. I think that you got open, you know. I'm just giving you that IQ. They didn't try to be intimidating. She is very intimidating. And can, I can never... There ain't no telling where you know which way he turns or go. Right. You know what I mean? That, and that ain't, he ain't always been like that. No. And uh, the, when he started that, when it was like, I've known him for so long, you know, and he didn't trust me no more. Was, that's when we were friends. When he stopped trusting me, and was like, okay, <laughs> now I know you. Lauren. I'm telling you that the person that brings you to those, to being Wes Shermantine and Lauren Herzog, Wes Shermantine and Lauren Herzog, it's Wes that brings you to these investigations, not the other way around. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because when Wes gets cornered, who does he say he's, who, who does he say he's with? Do you know what he said in the Chevy Wheeler case 13 years ago? Do you remember being interviewed on the phone by a sergeant? No, I was out front of my house. He talked to talk me. That, that, that was the only time I talked to him. Okay. But do you see what I'm saying? This, sure. is how, this is part of how you keep ending up in these cases. Yeah. But he came and talked to me, and I don't know why. He has no problem using you as an alibi. And at 1629.13, he cubs his mouth when answering, and it's inaudible. When you cover your mouth when answering, it's a sure sign of deception, a classic sign of deception. It's called a brain split. Your mind wants to say one thing, but your mouth is going to say something else. So your brain sends your hand over your mouth to say, don't say the truth. But unfortunately, I don't know what he said because it was gobbled. But whatever he said, he was covering his mouth when he says it, and usually, most likely, a sign of deception. That's the statement he's making. And I rewound it many times to try to get it, and I just couldn't hear it. But, Laura, I don't know for sure how much what it might have had on you or how much it does have on you. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection. The lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort.
Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Lauren, for all that you're a cool dude, sometimes you have your stupid moments too. At 1707-08, he's got his hands in his pockets of his sweatshirt. Well, anytime someone's being interrogated and they're putting their hands in their pockets, and they're putting their hands, maybe even sitting on their hands. What they're doing, they're fearful that the interrogator is going to see that they're nervous or stressed out. So subconsciously, they're putting their hands away because they don't want to show any signs to the interrogator that they're under stress of being deceptive. It's, it's, you really have to look to see that one. You can see his hands in his sweatshirt pocket. You can tell they're moving around in there. You'll have to see it when you watch it at 1707-23. And Webb seems to always be around and take <laughs> the biggest advantage of Lauren when he's being at his dumbest. I see you as possibly our only opportunity for ever recovering from Van And that's the truth. 1707-23. The interrogator says, you've done some stupid things, some stupid times. And he covers his face with his hands and laughs. You've had your stupid times. That's what she said. And he covers his face and laughs. That's a covering gesture. Again, he doesn't want interrogator to see any signs on his face, any stress. He want, He's going to cover his face up and not talk anymore. Then he gives that laugh again, where just dismiss this. It's not important. I'm making light of it. It's no big deal to me. I'm not stressed. So I'm just going to laugh. When I sat down and looked at this case, because I don't know for sure, if you truly don't know where she might... 1708, shoulders rolled forward, chin low. When they ask, see, we see you as our only opportunity to recover Cindy. Now, this is an important one. At 1708.14, his shoulders roll forward and his chin goes low. And this is my opinion, and I can't say it definitely, but this is a pre-confession indicator. It's called a cluster, pre-confession cluster. He's being submissive. He's accepting the fact that he possibly knows how they can recover Cindy, but he doesn't say it. He's in that position, but again, he doesn't follow through. And I don't know, again, if the interrogators knew about this, maybe they would have went down that hole a little further. But that's an important one to watch. At 1708.25, the interrogator states, I don't know for sure if you truly don't know where she is. Okay, I'm just telling you, uh, I'm trying to be honest with you. Arms out to the side, palms up. And he says, do you want me to sign my name in blood? Do you want me to sign my name in blood? That's moving away from the interrogator. Arms out, 
palms up. I'm telling you guys the truth. Do you want me to sign my name in blood? Another denial flag. It's the same thing. I swear on my kids. I swear on the Bible. Do you want me to sign my name in blood? He's being deceptive. Plain and simple, in my opinion. I'm not smart, and I don't know how to play this system game. It's not, it's not a game. I'm, it's not a game. It seems to be, because everything is the time it goes like this. And you know what? How in the hell did he get off that last thing he was in? It's my, can you tell me that? Can you tell me that? If I wanted to get you, can you tell me that? You need to listen to this. If I wanted to get you, you to answer any question, can you me. tell me how he got off? We don't know. This was 1999. Do you know what DNA is? Do you know what DNA is? DNA is that is the signature in everybody's cells that shows that your mom and dad, you are a mixture of your mother and father. 17-19-41. Again, the aversion, shoulder higher than the other toward the interrogator. He doesn't like what they're talking about. It's very upsetting to him. He doesn't want to listen. He doesn't want to talk about it. He does this a lot. And throughout the interrogation videos, you'll see it. And it's funny to hear the questions they ask him when he does this. You understand what the technology is like nowadays? We can tell you exactly what that is. Okay. Oh, I'm that's you have got to ask yourself, do you want to be part of what's in the trunk of that car? Because no. you, by your own statements, are in that car. No, I don't want to be in the trunk of that car. No, you don't, Lauren. And I don't I know I don't in the trunk of that car. I don't know that, Lauren, because I'm not <laughs> hearing anything from you that tells me that you have decided not to stand with Wes anymore. At 17, 20, 37, Ask yourself, the interrogator asked him, ask Lauren, ask yourself, do you want to be part of what's in the trunk of that car? And his response is, he moves away, gazes down, and shows contempt and arrogance and anger. And then he turns sideways away from the interrogator. Huge cluster, behavior cluster right there perception he's moving away gazes down doesn't want to make eye contact with the interrogator shows contempt and arrogance and anger turns sideways away from the interrogator meaning i don't want to talk a lot of these have the same meaning but basically i'm turning away from this questioning i don't want to participate anymore that's what he's saying with that body language <laughs> Okay, well, what the truth. Right here. Lauren, what I've always wanted from you. I don't, I don't want to see him again in my life. You're going to see But I can tell you one more time, yeah. You're pushing it to what's in to. You know what I'm going to have to do now. You're giving me no choice. Lauren, you have a choice. The choice is to talk to me. You keep putting me in there for... It's like, you're giving me no choice. No, you always have the choice. You are a man with a family and with children and parents that love you, Lauren. You always have a choice. 
at 1721-07. What do you want me to tell you? He yells. What do you want me to tell you? He throws his arms up. Anger, contempt, and arrogance. It's also a sign of defiance. Reacting with, like I said, anger, aggression. You'll see he throws himself backwards, stiffens up his neck and back, and he's being defensive. He thinks the interrogator's attacking him. So his response is, I'm going to upset this line of communication. I'm going to get picked. So he does that, and then it goes to another subject. And that's interesting to watch how mad he gets in an instance. He, then he puts on, at 1721, he puts on his sunglasses, which is another blocking indicator. He doesn't want them. He's thinking in his mind. He doesn't want them to see his eyes. He might look scared. So he puts on his sunglasses and doesn't want the interrogator to see how he's looking, if he might be fearful. Next time we will hear from Mike again as he analyzes part two of this interview, along with one of Wesley Shermantine Jr.'s interview tapes. <laughs>